Today is going to be a really interesting conversation because as I mentioned in Monday's episode, traditional Chinese medicine is super close to my heart. I love the blend of spirituality and science behind it. Today, I interview Erin Wilkins. She's an Asian American herbalist and Japanese style acupuncturist. Her work is rooted in traditional Chinese medicine and Japanese energetic medicine. You'll hear during the interview how she learned how to tap into her own ancestral healing traditions in order to really empower others to restore their health and prevent illness. She's a seasoned educator, and her classes include seasonal wellness, self-care workshops, Asian American herbalism, and folk traditions. She's also the owner of Herb Folk, an Asian American herb shop and clinic in Petaluma, California. You can find her on Instagram at Herb Folk Medicine. What I think is really interesting about this interview as well is that we talk about code switching. We talk about how she mentioned to me when I first got to know her before this interview and starting to prep for it, that she said that she wasn't calligraphy Asian, she was hood Asian. And that there's so much of this that I didn't have the vocabulary for, but I definitely participated in. So a very good friend of mine is Mexican-American. And the last time that she came out to visit me, we had this conversation about how the ways that she and I are together are different than the ways that I am with some of my other friends here in North County, San Diego. And it's not for their lack of understanding or that they wouldn't accept me, but there's definitely a certain amount of urbanism that comes through and then just understanding that there are these nuanced bits that make up your character when you're part of a marginalized conversation and community and that you have to figure out how to navigate that, how to do that primal thing of learning how to fit in into a community so that you won't be ostracized, so that you'll have your you know basic needs met, your survival needs met. Erin is also a mom and you'll hear about that as well. So I hope that you get a lot out of this interview as much as I did from connecting with her. Welcome to the Fuck Saving Face podcast. I'm your host, Judy Tsui, and together we'll explore mental and emotional health for Asian Americans, especially breaking through any taboo topics. Life may not always be pretty, but it is indeed beautiful. Let's make your story beautiful today. Okay, welcome back to the Fuck Saving Face podcast. I am very, very excited to have Erin Wilkins here. She is an Asian American herbalist and the founder of Herb Folk Medicine and Herb Shopping Clinic in Northern California. Erin and I got on a call before this podcast interview, and then we just immediately just were like going into it and diving in. And one of the things that she said during the interview was that, you know, I wasn't calligraphy Asian, I was hood Asian. And I loved that so much. I think that there's just such this idea of how we are perceived out in the world and how we actually are. And I'm really excited because, you know, I have a passionate place in my heart for Chinese medicine and for traditional Chinese medicine, because I loved the idea in learning about it that it's really rooted in spirituality and all of these ideas that like definitely bringing in millennia of science, but also having that element of understanding that connection between the mind, the body, and the spirit. And I think that's so lovely. My aunt was an acupuncturist, but she did it the scary way where she would run after us with needles to put in the scalp of our head. (laughs) That I didn't really love. And then I dated an acupuncturist, you know, and I learned in that experience and then meeting all of his other herbalist friends, how powerful, you know, herbalism is and how much the practice of treating the patient changes with the practitioner. So the practitioner becomes part of the regimen and how unique that relationship is. So I loved all of that. 
But I'm going to turn it over to you, Erin, for you to talk a little bit about your story and how you identify as an Asian American. Hi, Judy. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. I am just feeling so lifted and joyful to be here with you. When we had a call recently, like the connection, it just felt so immediate. And we just started riffing immediately. So I'm excited for this conversation today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about, you know, you mentioned that you are half Asian and half, what was the other half? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. So half Japanese, half Irish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, growing up, I always identified as Hapa. Now I tend to say more like Hafu or half or mix. Mm. And so, yeah, I was born and raised in South Sacramento in a very big Japanese American family. And now I live and work in Petaluma, California, Mm. which is like North Bay, San Francisco Bay area, sacred land of the coast Miwok and great Rancheria people. Mm. And my family has actually lived in Sonoma County where we're currently at for five generations, Mm. except for the generation and a half when the family was displaced due to Japanese internment and relocation. And so in returning to this place specifically and having the privilege to build a business and to raise a family here and specifically to have a shop that not only highlights, but centers the Asian American experience is something that I'm really proud of, something Mm. that is a source of pride for our whole family. That's so beautiful. Can you tell me more about, you know, your business and your practice and this practice of Eastern medicine and how you apply that? Sure. Yeah. So, so it's interesting is that even though I'm an Asian American woman practicing traditional Asian medicine, some would say like an ancestral medicine until recently, I had really compartmentalized my professional and my personal life, right? Feeling safe to present as Asian one way at home and then a different way at work. And what I realized was I wasn't presenting as Asian at work. I was hiding behind the medicine. I wasn't sharing my personal story or really my personal connection to the medicine. And that was what it was, right? I was still practiced for 10 years like that and had a a thriving practice. But once I really had this integration, this kind of realization, and then this emergence of really becoming more true to myself, both professionally and personally, It really shifted the way I work, It shifted the clients and the patients coming to me and just how I felt in my day to day, just felt more free. Mm. I mean, one of the things that you and I spoke about before that was towards the end of our original conversation, and I feel like this happens a lot for the things that are really important to us, we kind of hide to the very back until at the very end. In fact, my book coach, I think she said that that is like, oh, there's a term she said about being in therapy. And that's like the, you know, something out the door question. I'm going to have to like figure out what she said, but it's like, you ask that big question right at the end of your therapy session. And then the therapist is like, well, we could have spent the whole time talking about this. So, you know, what you were just referencing right now is that code switching that happens and how it happens. So, you know, intuitively, I feel like for so many of us, because we're programmed to survive, to be part of a community, to, you know, get our needs met, however that's going to look. And this is not unique to Asian Americans. Obviously, there's so many different populations that like have incredible experiences where they've had to navigate between these worlds. So I'd love for you to speak about like what awarenesses you came to when you realized that you were compartmentalizing this identity and what you did about it. Yeah. 
What I realized was, is that I was carrying a lot of shame around Mm. the code switching. Growing up in a really diverse area with a lot of family and Asian community around me, I grew up talking a certain way, listening to a certain type of music, you know, and those things are still who I am at my core. But when I was 14, tender age, right before Mm. high school, our family moved back to Sonoma County into a Mm. predominantly white community. And so I was really quick to change the way I spoke, the music, Mm. right? Just so much about me in order to Mm. blend in, to fit in. And I realized that rather than holding shame around that, part of my healing was to kind of embrace and accept that 14-year-old girl and Mm. look at her as a survivor and Mm. uh, somebody who did what she needed to do to feel safe at that time. Mm. And in honoring that, let it go. Mm. because with code switching, right? Our identity is never one thing. It's not just about being Asian. It is the intersectionality of of our our expression. It's also about class. It's about growing up working class poor and, you know, not wanting to present that way, wanting to look like we had more than we did. Mm -hmm. And so now that I am more confident in my work, personally, I'm almost 40. I have children. (laughs) It just feels really good to get to a place where I feel like I can just be who I am and not have to put on any fronts. How did you do that? How did you move from that realization to starting to embrace that? I think that that's something I was actually just talking to a mindset coach who I was working with about like, how do you get to that point where you start really embracing who it is that you are and celebrating that without guilt or shame? I think that in the Asian culture, you are not supposed to celebrate those elements of yourself. You're supposed to be very, very humble. But one of my friends said to me recently, we were on a trip in Mexico and he was like, I can't wait for that moment when you start to see yourself the way that everybody else sees you. It is going to be a great moment. And like- I just feel like, you know, there's this fear that I have of reaching the end of my life and like not syncing the two up and then realizing that I've like let go of whatever we weren't taught to celebrate anything. So like any sort of beauty standard, any sort of anything, you're not allowed to have that. So, I mean, that goes like real deep in terms of like sexuality and sensuality, but even on the surface, like it took me forever to learn how to accept a compliment. Like, okay, I'm just going to sit here in this discomfort, sit here in this discomfort and not try to say something else. I won't say anything back to you. Yes. I will just be like, okay, thank you. (laughs) So (laughs) how did you go from Yeah, like that journey, because I think a lot of the other guests that I've interviewed too also have this shared similar experience as I did of growing up in a predominantly white community and feeling very, very far from what they presented as their normal lives. And so we just did whatever we could to like pretend we were even close and it caused so much stress and so much like, you know, even more debt, I would say, to try to pretend. So yeah, how was that for you? How did you do it? You know, it was really in a moment of intense uh, crisis. It was Mm. the beginning of quarantine. I found myself at home with my two young children, having to shut down my acupuncture practice. And Mm. I had this moment of like, who am I? An ego death of sorts, right? Mm. So all the pretenses had to kind of fall away. And it was also during all of the racial justice uprisings after the murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and it made me kind of just take a moment. I I actually had a moment to remember who I was Mm. and who I've always been about and be more mindful about how I present myself in the world and how I frame who I am and what I do. Quick example is 
for so long, I identified as an East-West herbalist because mm-hmm. I thought that was something that kind of common sense, people kind of get it. Ooh, East-West, we know what that is. But when I really dug in, I don't feel that paradigm. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not an East-West person. I identify as an Asian-American person mm-hmm. and I realized, oh, that's my work also. My work is Asian American herbalism and on so many levels because mm-hmm. of my identity, because I've learned this traditional Asian medicine here in America from teachers in America. I learned it in English. There's just so many layers to that. And so that shift in language actually is what started this cascade of emergence in so many other areas of my life. Mm, I love that. I think that I always say that it's so important, like the words that we're using to tell the stories, both to ourselves and to each other, like the stories that we tell ourselves, that's our mindset that creates our truths. And I've loved learning that a belief is just a thought you keep thinking. So like shifting that story that we're telling ourselves can totally change our lives. And then what language we're using to tell other stories. And even, you know, as I'm doing this podcast, I'm still having conversations with people where I'm catching myself, you know, saying like the joke to try to make it easy and not uncomfortable. And that code switching that you were talking about, I realized that with certain friends, one of my friends in particular, who's like Mexican American, when she comes to visit with me, I'm a totally different person with her than I am with anybody else in my life. And I feel so much more at home. And again, it's not like, like you said, you use the word hood. I don't want to say this in the like a derogatory way, like about being ghetto, quote unquote, or whatnot. But there is some sort of like realness and the understanding that if you are perceived as other or a marginalized population, you have likely had to go through some shit, like have had to deal with some racist shit, like, you know, just like also swallow a lot, not like, you know, decide when and where you're going to speak up and rise up. And so I think all of that creates you know, feelings of resentment, frustration, anger, almost like a righteousness too, of being able to be a certain way that other people can't be. So like people can't code switch into this because (laughs) you don't belong here. You haven't gone through that. And it's just been such an interesting, like you said, like even just the distinction between East West and Asian and American, like how do you really identify what's really true for you? And once you made that switch, what results did you see with your practice? I know that one of the things you talked about when we got on the phone too, was like about health equity and like, because of the region that you live in predominantly, a lot of the clients that you would see are white. So how did that shift and transform some of that? If it did. Well, and to speak on what you were just sharing, I thought that was so powerful of how with code switching under the kind of foundation of that, some of the underlying dynamic is of oppression, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting when we're then speaking freely with people who we resonate with, and we can just tell have had similar experience. It almost is, it's not just feeling free. It's almost like a joy Mm -hmm. to be able to express oneself in, in our fullness. Yeah. And so when I started kind of making more like jokes that were true to me, you know, like uh, making hip hop references, things that I like kept really close to my heart and didn't share in public, like on social media and things like that. What I noticed was I started getting a lot of messages from other Asian folks, not just in the herb world, just other Asians in different Mm. walks of life. Like, Hey, I'm really feeling you. Mm. Like, I also like hip hop and like, (laughs) and you know, like things that, and then I look at their feet and it would be like, very like austere and you would never assume it. It was like, Oh, the, what I'm doing, other people are also in the process of doing. Mm. And that I think has also made me feel more brave about continuing. Um, Mm. Just keep it real. 
Yeah. And I love that because anybody who takes the time to reach out to you, I had someone tell me one time, like for every person who actually reaches out to you and gives you that feedback or that thought, there's so many other people who feel the same way and they're just not saying anything, you know, not taking that time. And that was really helpful because it was like, oh, this is a sample size of like one or, you know, five, 10, but they're representing a huge voice that needs to be heard and needs to be spoken about. And I think that what you're also speaking to is redefining what it means to be Asian in America today. Over the last year or two, the terms of like co-opting someone else's, you know, culture or capitalizing on it, benefiting from that, commercializing it, like all of that stuff, I think is just coming more to the forefront. And so instead of being left behind in that, how can we really start to stand up and own it and embrace it in ways that are resonant with us that benefit the like origin culture that also, you know, let all of that get celebrated in a way that's really honoring. And so in the very beginning, when you mentioned the land that you're on, I loved hearing that. I love like, you know, honoring like where we are and the places and the people who came before us to help create that, that can get lost so easily as we go about in our day-to-day lives. One of the questions that I'd love to ask you about is for anybody who's like new to acupuncture, doesn't know anything about it, or doesn't know anything about like herbalism, what are some of the core tenets or like beliefs and philosophies that you work with that you would love to share? Something that I love to talk about, something that I feel like should be more common knowledge about, let's say herbal medicine, mm-hmm. is that herbalism, as well as acupuncture, it's a complex, sophisticated network of healing systems and medicine, mm-hmm. right? It's, um, its use and its history and our instinctual understanding of it predates written history. Mm. I talk a lot about that in my classes. I feel it's really important to share a context and history when teaching about traditional medicine. Herbalism and acupuncture, it predates the scientific method. Mm. At a most basic level, we know that it works not because of any one randomized controlled experiment, but because this medicine is written in our bones, Mm. in our blood. Mm. That's so, so beautiful. I think I remember when I was getting treatment, just learning that, you know, this type of medicine treats you as a universe in and of yourself. And that it's not just like one little part that it's trying to address, but you are this whole ecosystem. So just similar to the world that we live in with the mountains and the trees and the rivers and all of that, all of that exists within you. And they're all interrelated, just like everything is interrelated in nature. So it was such a beautiful, like poetic medicine, even the way that you describe it right now is so poetic. And I think, you know, even just the brief readings that I've done just about how your emotions play into it, like the sense of love or your heart or, you know, your purpose, your destiny, like all of that. And to bring it all together, I think is so amazing because that is not what I learned when I was, again, growing up with my aunt who would boil the Chinese medicine that smelled so bad. in these clay vats and I was like oh god if one of my American friends came over right now it would just be the worst and then I would just open up the cabinet and there'd be like a dried gecko there you know it was like a whole thing these are things my children are going to be saying about me one day (laughs) I love it and I also when I discovered oh like you can like make a bunch of those medicines into capsules I was like what a revolutionary idea So when it comes to, you know, the kind of work that you do too, what are some of the common ailments and, you know, things that people come seek you for? And what are some of the surprising things that people don't know, you know, maybe herbalism can address or acupuncture? Yeah, that's a good one. 
oftentimes people will come to me for acupuncture for pain Mm. because especially people who haven't had a lot of experience with it or it's their first time, it takes something significant to ask for needles to be poked into your body. You know, it's not always our first mm-hmm. instinct. <laughs> um, but from physical pain, there is always mental, emotional, spiritual pain mm. as well. Mm. If not primarily, that is mm. that's usually the root. And mm. so the work I do is more and more really speaking to spirit Mm. energy and then what's going on with the physical body falls into place oh that's so beautiful so you had mentioned before that you combine the east and the west how does the west come into play yeah so going to school for acupuncture and herbalism I went to um, a grad school And so even in that program, it was acupuncture and integrative medicine. So Mm. the Western part is integrated into my learning. However, as a practitioner, I really do center the Eastern energetics. Mm. Uh, I don't read labs anymore. I don't try and be, you know, like 50% nurse, 50% acupuncturist. Mm. I really, as I've gained confidence in my skill set, just really allowed myself to lean into the Eastern energetics as the root and foundation. However, Mm. I'm also very passionate about applying these energetics to herbs that are growing in our bioregion, right? Things that can be sourced locally, potentially even in one's own backyard. Mm. Uh, I think that speaks a lot to accessibility and the way this medicine, medicine was always practiced where, you know, when TCM and classical Chinese medicine, Japanese energetic medicine was coming up there, we weren't living in a global society yet. Mm-hmm. People could only use what they had access to. And mm-hmm. so for me now, that's where the Western element comes into play is how to apply the Eastern energetics to say things like lemon balm or rose mm. or mint chamomile, but that's just a part of the picture. Yeah, it's that's so wonderful. And I think that in a future interview that I'm doing, we'll be talking about like sustainability, especially like sustainability for the planet when it comes to fashion and the fast fashion and all that kind of stuff that we're going through now. But one of the things that I think was interesting, like way back when that I remember learning is like when you travel, try to eat like yogurt from like the local region because like the probiotics or like the honey from the local region, because it helps your system acclimate by, you know, taking in these subtle elements of what's already produced in that region, which was just so helpful to think about like, oh yeah, that's a wonderful way to stay connected to the land and to, you know, I feel like always growing up, I learned that when you travel to other places, you want to honor like the culture and the civilization that's there. And what I noticed too, and one of my friends owns a resort in the Philippines and she had observed through her like decade and a half of living there and running this business that it's usually the Western like American men who come in with this egotistical idea of like demanding, like I need my needs met, I need this, you know, I need that. And it makes it very difficult on everybody else who's learning how to survive in a different way and have a lifestyle in a different way. Like, yes, they're there as hospitality, but at the same time, there's so much more of that collective kind of understanding. And so I love anything like the work that you're doing and, and anything that just really reminds us of how we can practice a little bit more humility <laughs> and, you know, of, oh, we are benefiting from this. And I think this was also when I lived in Hawaii too, 
just seeing how much tourism came through and how little regard there was to the land and how much, you know, there's so many sacred places and, and just so many ways that we could be more mindful, even like using like reef safe sunblock, for example, like let's not kill the water that we're coming to enjoy. So I don't think that these are some things that we're necessarily taught if you're growing up with immigrant parents, like you mentioned with your family who had to be displaced, you know, there's trauma there. There's trauma with a big T and a trauma with a little T and then that scarcity mindset and the survivalist mindset. So all of that makes it really hard. How did you get to the point where, you know, like you're doing this work? What was the thing that drew you most to this work that you're doing now and being of service in this way? Well, first, I have to say one thing about what you were yes. just yeah. yeah. To riff on what you were saying is what came to mind about, you know, accessibility and, and really kind of safeguarding the earth is that saying like instant gratification rules the world. Mm. I feel like herbalism is a real teacher in that regard mm. where there's no fast medicine. Mm. Right? And herbalism teaches us consistency, teaches us grace, teaches us the subtlety of our healing. So mm. I had to say something. No, like, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think that was in the quiet back of my head is like, this medicine is not fast medicine. This is like slow fashion is like a really great way to honor what we want to buy and purchase and invest in and the people who are creating it, the land that's producing the materials for it. And just like that, like herbalism is a wonderful way to remind us of like, let's slow it down. Let's remember how powerful healing can be and how lasting healing can be when we take like the slower steps to make sure that it's coming from a fundamental place of change instead of the superficial, I just don't want to hurt anymore. Just like make it stop hurting, but instead addressing like, wait, but what caused the hurt in the first place? So <laughs> going back to your question of how you got into it, what, what spoke to you about it? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> funny. And this is, this really speaks to, I think a lot of first gen and Asian American experiences. I in undergrad was pre-law mm. that underlying idea of, I had three options, law, engineering, or medicine. Mm. And so I was working as a paralegal preparing for law school And I had all of these health issues coming up, right? Mm. Physical and emotional, which were really big red flags at Mm. 22 years old of like, this is not your path. You are not well, you're going to break until you figure it out. Mm. And so I just started trying different things, yoga, Pilates, meditation, breath work. It wasn't until I was gifted an acupuncture session. Acupuncture can be pricey. Mm -hmm. I was gifted an acupuncture session and it changed my life until I could have never guessed what it would feel like. Right. Mm. And maybe you mm-hmm. had had similar experiences when you have mm-hmm. a, a good healing session of just that embodiment of wow, that mm-hmm. profound shift. And even at that point, I think because in our, in the mainstream culture, acupuncture is exoticized in a way that makes me very uncomfortable even at that point, I was still skeptical of going into acupuncture. I was like, I'm not that kind of Asian, you mm. know, again, that like, I'm not calligraphy Asian, I'm hood mm. Asian, like <laughs> what, what? But I found myself in acupuncture school within three months and yeah, I, I love it. I, I love the needles and I love the herbs. Mm, I love what you're speaking about because that sense of harmony that comes out of a healing session is unlike anything else. It feels almost like you're like floating around, like in that sense of wholeness. 
And now that you're putting words to it, I'm realizing like, yeah, I never have that sense when I go to Western medicine that I walk out feeling like completely whole as like a whole person and not to diss Western medicine. I definitely think that it has its place, but I think that there is that sense of bringing everything into union in that way, similar to other practices like yoga and whatnot. Like when you have a really good yoga class, you walk out of that class, like floating on air, just feeling Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, every part of me just was addressed. And I think when you were talking about the priciness of the acupuncture, I know that for a lot of different clinics and practitioners, there's community acupuncture because the fact that the pressure points are in your feet and you can address them with like your extremities, there are definitely ways that you could access this care in a way that is in your budget, which is also something else that I have loved. And just the way that you talk about it, like, please, everyone who's listening to this, let your health be an indicator of potentially something that may have gone awry. Because I think that we learn to shove it real far deep and shove it real far back. Like, oh, there's just something wrong with me. There's not something wrong with the path that I'm pursuing or the choices that I'm making. Just like me, I can't handle it or whatever. So everything that you're saying is such a good reminder. We had done an interview with a woman who does human design, and she also suffered extreme health challenges from pursuing a career that wasn't aligned with her to the point that she had to take a sabbatical because she was just completely fatigued from it. So I liked the understanding. And I remember when I, I think I read this or heard it, it was Lonnie Jarrett's like book. And he was talking about that each one of us is born with a destiny, but we're also born with free will. So the universe will not make you live out your destiny because of your free will, but it sure as heck will tell you what that destiny is. And first it will appear as like internal physical symptomology. Like I'm starting to feel under the weather. I'm starting to get consistent chronic conditions. Like that pain is starting to hurt. And if you still don't pay attention and you don't take heed, then it will start showing up as external life events to get you to pay attention, to slow down. And just that way that it was described was so wonderful and beautiful. And for anybody who's listening, please feel free to let me know if that's ever happened to you, where all of a sudden some life event, you're like, oh, great. Now I have to stop and pay attention. But I loved hearing that. So as we're getting ready to close this interview, I'm very curious about this idea of, you know, along the lines of fuck saving face and really breaking through taboo topics and transforming the way that we approach, you know, shame and guilt, what is one area that you wish that people would know about to like rewrite a story around or highlight or illuminate? Well, this is something that I talk about often, continuation of maybe one of the first things that we talked about of uh, the language and how we use language to define Mm -hmm. us and how oftentimes in life we start walking around with labels, ideas of ourselves that have been given to us, Mm -hmm. maybe things that we gave to ourselves. And we start walking around like that's the truth. Mm -hmm. That's it. And so how can we create time? How can one create time in their life, space in their life to question those things, to question the labels that we put on, Mm -hmm. the masks that we put on and potentially let them go? Mm. I love that. That's so wonderful. I think that this is why every spiritual tradition encourages like mindfulness or just taking some time. And that mindfulness can look like being outside and going for a walk and just no distractions and being present with your breath. But I think that what you're saying, like giving ourselves that space and that room to reflect, because I think so often we just become habitualized to our patterns, our ways of thinking, our ways of being. So, you know, One of my friends who grew up in a family of therapists said, just do the opposite of what you would normally do. 
Like (laughs) if you could just take a moment and try that, then see what happens. And that sense of like curiosity around that exploration of like, yeah, what would happen if I just like made a little shift? Like what would happen? Thank you so much for your time and your energy today and your sharing. It's been wonderful and so poetic and beautiful. I'm curious if people want to follow up with you, where can they find you? Yes, I had such a great time today, Judy. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yes, I have a brick and mortar shop downtown Petaluma. To learn more, the website is herbfolkshop.com. I'm on Instagram at herbfolkmedicine. And yeah, I have ongoing classes, clinics. I'm about to start my acupuncture practice up again. So come through. Yay. Thank you. And all that region is so beautiful too. So it's like a wonderful, take a day trip, go like go on a staycation. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Judy. Please support my mom's podcast. It has a bad word in it, but I think you'll know where to find it. As always, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the time that you take to be present here with me, to listen to these experts share their insights and wisdom, and then to share it with a friend. I've had a lot of feedback that people are obsessed with the content that I've been producing because it feels a little bit like you're reading my journal or you're sitting having a conversation with me. And that is genuinely how I do want it to feel that, you know, with transparency and authenticity that we're pulling back the veil, that we don't have to live in guilt and shame. And instead, we can normalize a lot of things that have been very taboo and instead learn how to truly connect, truly bridge these worlds to if you are one of those people who's code switching, better understand what it is that you're doing. Is that how you want to be? Do we want to change the need that we find that people have to do this? I hope these episodes bring a bit of light and illuminate different aspects of people's stories for you, that they help offer a bit of healing or understanding to affirm that you're not alone in this world. And any type of support that you want to share is so, so helpful and absolutely meaningful to me. If you want to rate and review the podcast, if you want to share it with a friend, if you want to make a donation, however that looks for you, I am grateful that you are here. Thank you for being part of this community. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard and know someone in your life who might also benefit from hearing this episode, please feel free to share it with them. Also, if you'd like to support our show, you can make a one-time donation at fucksavingface.com or you can make a recurring donation at patreon.com forward slash fucksavingface. That's fuck without the U. Subscribe today to stay tuned for all future episodes.